If you do have uh, kids, we'd love for them to be a part of the Vine Kids plan that we have time planned for them so they can head out this door and head over uh, to what the Vine Kids team has planned for them this morning. So, Well, my name's Carson Rock, and uh, I'm really excited to get to be here this morning. I'm a member. My wife, Katie, and I have been members here at the Vine for several years, and we're excited to... Uh, just be a part of this church. It's meant a lot to us, and it's always uh, fun for me and uh, an honor to stand up here and talk about what the Lord's been doing in my life and hopefully uh, share some of those truths and that uh, they'll have an effect on your life as well. But um, if you have been with us very much time over the past uh, really couple of years, then you know that we just finished a huge series that we've been working through. It's been working our way through the book of Acts for... Um, like 60-something weeks, and it took uh, almost like two calendar years to get there. And so uh, when Treb asked me to preach this morning, I was looking through the chapters, and I thought, I might just get to finish this whole major series, but we ended up uh, wrapping it up last week, and so I didn't. Uh, I'm obviously not talking about that this morning, but um, it was a a really great study for me, and I I think it was for a lot of us, because um, I had never really personally spent like that much time looking at the book of Acts, um, and as Treb continued to reiterate, it's more than just like a history of the early church. It really is the call of the Christ follower, and it's the call on each of our individual lives. And so I was kind of thinking about that and thinking, we just finished this huge series, and so um, I, you know, I felt like the Lord wanted us to look at something that was still kind of uh, in the same vein or the same Time frame, and so we're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning, uh, chapter four, and it's kind of uh, in the same chronological order of where we've been in the book of Acts and the time frame of what's going on in the life of the church. And since we do have kind of all this background around that, we can uh, kind of use that for a frame of reference this morning. So um, Ephesians uh, is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and so I thought, hey, it fits in like really well with a. We're at uh, in the chronological history of uh, Scripture, and so let's go ahead and let's just look at that uh, this morning. So before we do that, let's just take a minute and let's pray and let's ask the Lord to come and to teach us something this morning. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to get together. I thank you for this church and for what it means to me. Lord, I thank you for uh, this community of believers. I pray that uh, we would be able to just uh, be your people and to live out what it means to follow you in our lives, Lord. I pray that you would teach us a little bit more about that from your word this morning. Let's take a minute uh, in our own hearts as we do every week and just ask the Lord to teach you something this morning. Ask him to come and to... Uh, reveal his truth to you through his word. Let's also, uh, as we usually do, and as Don mentioned, let's just take a moment and pray for the people around you, even if you don't know their name. Uh, Let's be a church that's in the habit of praying for one another. Uh, Ask the Lord to move in the people around you's life this morning. Lord, we do. Uh, we ask that. We ask that you would come and that you would reveal your truth through your word this morning, Lord, that uh, we'd be faithful to understand what you're trying to say and that your Holy Spirit would come and that it would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you're trying to teach us, God. Uh, I pray that uh, you'd help us to be faithful to uh, what you're us, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Amen. Okay, so like I mentioned, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 1, this has been uh, where we're going to be at this morning. It's been one of my favorite uh, Bible verses for a really long time, and it's something that the Lord has used to really challenge me throughout a long period of my life. Uh, kind of starting in high school, this was a verse that really meant a lot to me. Um, and so uh, it, it's been challenging for me personally, and I hope that um, after we kind of walk through uh, this verse and some of the surrounding verses this morning, it's something that can be really challenging for you as well. Um, but before we do that, let's just give you a, a little background the book of Ephesians and the people um, in Ephesus. They, they meant a whole lot to Paul, and we know that because we see him time and time again show up uh, in the book of Acts. So we know that he spent at least two years at, 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 in one big chunk with them, and he was preaching the gospel uh, almost daily in their presence. And he preached it so much that pretty much everyone in Ephesus, which would probably be considered modern had the opportunity to hear uh, the truth of the gospel. And um, so that's pretty amazing that Paul spent so much time and he was so faithful through this church that God was raising up to be able to uh, at least get almost everyone in modern-day Turkey uh, having the opportunity to have heard the gospel. And uh, these were people that he didn't just do ministry with, that they were actually people that uh, were his friends. And that's super exciting, too. I need to switch to this. Hello? All right. There we go. All right. So we'll try. I've never done it with the handheld mic before, so we'll give it a try. um, But um, the Ephesian people were really special to Paul, and we know that they were so special because when he was finishing his third missionary journey and he was heading back to Jerusalem, um, he had the boat intentionally skip Ephesus because he was like, if I stop there, there's so many people that I love and I'm going to have to talk to. It's really just going to delay this whole trip. So let's just go ahead and skip it and get me on to Jerusalem. Um, and so these were people that were, uh, as he addresses at the very beginning of this letter, they were Christians, that they were believers. He calls them the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, and they are truly his friends. And so it's important for us to remember uh, who his intended audience was when he wrote this letter, because um, I think it fits in a lot of ways with where we're at as a church um, this morning. And so uh, he leads off in verse 1 by saying, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And uh, for a long time, I kind of glanced over that part about Paul being a prisoner. But now that we've spent so much time in Acts, I kind of realized, wow, Paul really was a prisoner for a huge chunk of his life. That um, that really meant something when he was saying, hey, I have... uh, I'm in prison right now. And um, most scholars believe that the book of Ephesians was written somewhere around A.D. 60, and that it was actually while Paul was in prison in Rome. And so Luke wrote the whole book of Acts, and we spent a couple years studying it, and we ended up getting to uh, going through all these amazing stories and all these things that God did throughout the church. And it kind of has this really anticlimactic ending, like we talked about last week. Acts gets there, and he just kind of leaves Paul sitting in prison, and we kind of have to wonder what happens. Um, But during that time when Paul was in prison in Rome, under house arrest, probably physically chained to a Roman guard is when he wrote this letter to the Ephesian people. And so that should give us a little bit of uh, background on, like, wow, Paul really means something when he's um, reminding the Ephesians that he is a prisoner for the Lord. And he's not just someone who uh, is... 
you know, in jail. He's not just saying, hey, listen to me because I've sacrificed a lot. He's saying, uh, you should listen to me and take notice of this um, because I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And he's almost attaching himself to the cause of Christ when he says that because he is associating himself with, um, with his imprisonment and talking about uh, all, reminding the Ephesian people of all the things that he's gone through and that he really is a prisoner. Um, so he, as he urges them or he beseeches them to live a life worthy of that calling, he's, he's saying that they should do that because he, um, you know, that he has this deep relationship with them and he wants to share this truth uh, with them as well. And so there's a couple things that I really want to emphasize this morning that I think uh, the Lord wants us to see. And the first one is the importance of the calling in our lives. And um, we had the little graphic that was up here for the last couple years really said, Acts, the call of the Christ follower. And I want to talk about just that initial call and the importance of that in each and every one of our lives. And then the second thing that I'm going to want you to see is um, the challenge that Paul puts in front of us. And that challenge is to live a life worthy of that calling. And, and I think that that's kind of a tall order and it's important for us to think about. And so and those are the two things that we're going to look at this morning. But first of all, kind of starting with an est- establishing what that calling really is, that calling that you have received. Um, and for the people in Ephesus, that would have uh, been a calling that God would have delivered most likely specifically through Paul. He would have come into their town, and they would have encountered one of his sermons, and they would have said, hey, you know what, this, uh, this is important, this is impacting who I am, and they would have had a conversion experience probably because of Paul's preaching. And so as they begin to um, kind of interact with him, that their lives are really changed when uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, uh, they respond to this call on their individual lives. And so... Um, kind of understanding what that call is is important for us, and it's important for us to remind ourselves as believers just kind of how big of a deal that really is, that your conversion experience or my conversion experience, if you've had one, um, is a little bit different for each and every one of us, but Paul knows here that everyone that he's writing to in Ephesus and all the believers who are going to read this letter later uh, would have had some point in their life when they did receive this calling, and it was a calling to leave the old way that you were living and to... uh, to start following Christ with the way that you lived. And that would have meant a lot more probably uh, in a non-Christian like culture environment in Oklahoma. I think a lot of people a lot of times grow up uh, around the church and around Christianity, and they may not uh, even be able to point to a specific conversion experience in their life a lot of times. But for this uh, audience in Ephesus, these people would have thought, yeah, like when Paul came in and I heard this call, my friends started thinking I was weird. Uh, I was kind of socially ostracized, like I, I might have gotten persecuted. Uh, some believers in other parts of the world that day were being killed because of their beliefs. Um, and so it really meant something to say, I'm walking away from what I used to believe, and I am turning to this, these teachings that Paul has brought up. I'm turning to these teachings that Jesus uh, initially brought into the world and changing the way that I think about my relationship with God. I'm changing the way that I think about the way that... Um, what my life on earth is actually supposed to be about. And uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, The old is gone and the new has come. And so that's like what this call really is. It's that we become new creations, that we're no longer who we used to be, that we're making a transition to this new life that we have in Christ. 
Um, he talks about it later in Galatians 2.20. He says that I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It's this idea that when we do come to know Christ, our lives are radically different than they were prior to knowing Christ. And so that's kind of the first big thing that uh, I want us to consider this morning is that, is my life actually radically different um, as a result of knowing Christ? Or is it just kind of the same and now I kind of associate with this group of people or this church or uh, a certain set of beliefs? But um, we have to kind of ask ourselves, has there actually been change inside of me? Has there been like an experience, uh, and it could be a series of experiences, it doesn't have to be one time, but like these Ephesian believers would have had where they say, like, yes, I made a decision to step out of my old life and step into this new life, this life of uh, fulfillment and purpose that can be found in Christ. And so we kind of have to establish uh, that calling and what that is before we can understand what Paul means when he asks us to live a life that's worthy of that. Um, So he he goes on to challenge us uh, with these different ideas, starting in verse 2 and kind of moving on of what it means uh, to live a life that is worthy of this amazing calling, this important calling, something that should be so impactful to us. It's really the most important thing that has ever happened to us. It's not just something that's kind of a part of your life. It is actually the biggest part of your life, and it's the greatest thing that could have ever possibly happened to you. And uh, Paul knew that the Ephesian believers saw it that way, and I think that that's something that we have to ask ourselves, is that do we see uh, our calling that way? Do we really believe that it is the single most important thing that has ever happened to us, more important than Uh, passing those tests or getting married or uh, having kids, that our relationship with the Lord really is the greatest thing that has ever happened to us. I think think that's an important thing for us to consider. And so as I kind of thought about what's the best way to describe um, living or acting in a way that's worthy of our calling, um, the best example that I could come up with was kind of how we get dressed when we go eat at different places. And so uh, stick with me on this analogy, but sometimes we, uh, if you go to McDonald's, you usually have to be wearing a shirt and shoes, and that's kind of like the the bar. If you do have those two things, or yeah, if it could be less if you're in the drive-thru, you can kind of get away with it, but you can, you really don't have to get fixed up to uh, eat that kind of food because it, it's just not worthy of you uh, getting really ready for it. And the, it's kind of the opposite of the fine dining experience, right? They have white tablecloths, it's dimly lit, the prices are super high, and you have to be uh, maybe wearing a sport coat or something because you know that, hey, like this food is so great that it's worthy of me actually getting dressed up and putting on nice clothes to represent how great of an experience this is. And uh, I think in a lot of ways that that kind of relates to our Christian lives. Like if we believe that this calling that has happened to us, this conversion experience where we decided to follow Christ with our lives, is really like on the level of fine dining, that we really believe that it's worthy of our very best uh, in the way that we live. And so that's kind of the challenge that Paul's putting forward to us. And he gives us a few examples uh, throughout the next few verses um, that I want to look at briefly uh, on each of these points um, about how he outlines what it looks like to really live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In verse 2, he begins by saying, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So the first thing that I want to highlight there 
is being completely humble and this idea of humility. And I think it's an idea that a lot of times uh, we kind of uh, just kind of misconstrue. I, I think that we have a lot of different ideas about humility being associated maybe with weakness or a lack of confidence. Um, but I think that a pretty solid biblical definition, or at least the way we're going to think about it for today, is that um, humility is how we view ourselves before God. And so um, if humility is really how we view ourselves before God, uh, then I think it's very important for us to think about how we have developed our own view of who God really is. And uh, this is an idea that really changed for me a lot in college. Um, I, I came into college and I was thinking, hey, um, you know, I... I'm a Christian, and, and I was a believer, and I, I did a lot of good things, um, and so I kind of had some ideas about uh, who God was and what him saving me from my sin really meant. And then um, through the faithful teaching of some people at a campus ministry called uh, Crew, uh, which a lot of people in our church are familiar with, um, a passage in Luke chapter 7, uh, throughout my freshman year of college, the Lord really used to help kind of change the way that I thought about uh, who God was and how I should view myself uh, in before such a perfect and holy God. Um, another way that I've heard humility defined is moral littleness. So just kind of keep that in your head um, as you're thinking about it. But I'll paraphrase uh, this section of Luke chapter 7 for you real quick. Um, Jesus is over at the house of a Pharisee, and uh, this Pharisee had him over, and there is a prostitute there. And the prostitute is cleaning Jesus' feet with perfume and her tears and, and wiping them with her hair. And the Pharisee is thinking some things like, that probably shouldn't be happening. And he didn't say anything out, li- out loud, but because Jesus is Jesus, he knows what he's thinking. And he says, hey, Simon, can I tell you something? And um, Simon says, sure, of course. And so Jesus uh, jumps into this story, and he says that two men owned a, owed a certain money lender. Uh, one owed him 500 denarii, which is about a day's wages, and the other owed him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them is going to love him more? And the Pharisee says to Jesus, well, the guy who larger debt got forgiven is who's going to live him, love him more. And Jesus said, you're very right when you say that. And he goes on to say that um, I tell you that whoever has been uh, forgiven of much will love much, and whoever has been forgiven of little will love little. And uh, that idea of how much we have been forgiven individually by God, I think radically shapes our view of who God is and how mighty he is, how powerful he is, and kind of how we stand in uh, correspondence with him. I think that our moral littleness kind of grows as we really are honest with ourselves about um, the sin in our own lives. And I think it was hard for me uh, for a long time to personally be able to, I was able to admit I've definitely done something wrong. I can agree with that, but I don't know that I want to agree with that I've done a lot of things wrong and that I've sinned against God in a really big way. Um, But at through, through that faithful teaching uh, and, and through this passage specifically, I was really able to begin to understand that God has forgiven me from very, very much, and that even though I, I look pretty straight-laced on the outside, um, that there are a lot of things going on on the inside uh, that the Lord was saving me from. And so uh, I grew in humility because I had this higher view of who God was. And I think that's the first thing that Paul really wants us to see, and that's why it kind of ties back into uh, this initial calling, that as we understand the significance 
of our conversion and of what God has done for us, uh, it allows us to really view God properly and view ourselves in, in light of who God is properly. The second thing that he lists out here is um, being completely gentle. He says, be completely humble and gentle. And gentleness, another way that we could describe the word gentleness is probably with the word meekness. And uh, meekness is another word that um, I've never really understand super well. Um, but for, uh, I think the best definition or the best way that I can kind of describe it for you is if humility is how we view ourselves before God, then meekness or gentleness is how we view ourselves before other people. And as I think about those things, I think, wow, okay, um, you know, that one's kind of hard for me too because I think about the way that I see other people and I usually hold others to a super high standard, right? A much higher standard than I would want to hold, than I would want myself to be held to. But that's generally just how I kind of think about it. I judge people based on uh, the things that they're doing and I don't even kind of think about their intentions. But uh, when it comes to me, I want, I'm like, well, I meant well, even though that that didn't come out very good. Um, And so I want people to have grace with me and to be able to kind of understand where I'm coming from, but I kind of forget where they're coming from. And what Paul reminds us um, in the book of Philippians, just a couple pages over, he he reminds, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, he tells us that um, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility to consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I think it, as I kind of think about that passage and those verses and how it kind of relates to um, how Christ uh, viewed himself in relation to other people. Uh, the only person who has ever lived a perfect life was still humbled to the point of death and that he saw other people better than himself, even though he actually was the very best. Um, which, when I kind of think about that and I think about, wow, when Christ looks at me, excuse me, and he sees me, what he sees is he sees someone who has a lot of things um, wrong with them. He sees a lot of brokenness. And he sees someone who is in need of a Savior. And uh, if I'm honest with myself, I, I can get excited that he sees me that way because uh, he did die on the cross and was resurrected to save us of our sin. And so I can be excited uh, about that fact. But I think I often forget that uh, Christ sees other people that way as well and that we should see other people that way as well, that we are all underneath the cross of Christ and that all of us are in need of a Savior and all of us are in need of grace. And so uh, it starts once again with our calling and understanding the significance of that and then understanding uh, through humility how great God has been to us. And that allows us to be gentle and allows us to be meek with other people because we begin to understand Uh, the significance of how Christ views other people in our lives. Um, The the next thing that he wants us to see, and we're going to kind of combine patience and bearing with one another in love, um, is is that we should be able to show self-restraint. And I think patience and bearing with one another in love is not just the kind of patience where you have a good attitude when... uh, 
the waiting room takes too long at the doctor's office. I think that uh, patience that he's talking about here is really something a lot more than that. It's really about giving grace and showing grace to other people like God has shown or given grace to us. And uh, bearing with other people isn't easy, but it is very important for us as Christians because uh, it's a very different way of living than how we would normally live. I usually have a pretty short level of tolerance for people that don't do things right. Um, But once again, um, I want people to be very patient with me. And so that's where I think that we have to understand, and as Paul is saying, that we do have to uh, continue to walk through this list of things that he's given us. We understand the importance of our calling, uh, how big of a deal that really was. We're humbled by how much God loves us. And then that is when we begin to able to treat other people with gentleness uh, and meekness to view them properly and to actually show patience to other people in our lives because it's really difficult to do in our own strength. Um, The final thing that Paul really wants us to see here is that uh, he is calling us to unity. And that's a theme that we see throughout the Bible. And it's an important theme for the early church. And unfortunately, it's something that we still haven't figured out as believers. And so it's a really important theme for us today as well. Um, He says in verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so I think that unity, uh, just like when these people in Ephesus were getting together and becoming Christians, some of them were Jews and some of them were from this religion and some of them were from that religion, uh, and they had a bunch of different ideas, and they heard the teachings of Paul and they were converted. Then they got together as one community, and they brought all this baggage with them. Well, I used to think about God this way, and I used to think about God this way, and I used to have these different ideas, and they had these, these different things. And I think in a lot of ways, that's like us. A lot of us have grown up. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you came from this denomination or maybe came from that denomination, but we're here and we're together. There's, there's this call on our lives for unity that Paul is really bringing up. Um, and he goes on to give later in Scripture a really great analogy of what uh, a unified body of Christ looks like, not just in uh, our individual community, but uh, with the church uh, kind of as a whole. Um, and it's this idea that we're all one body, like a human body working together, and that um, the head needs the feet or it wouldn't be able to get anywhere, and the hands uh, have to do things, and the eyes have to see. And uh, we all have different roles, and you know, one church may be able to really reach a certain demographic, but another church may be able to reach uh, another demographic really well. And so uh, we all kind of have our strengths and weaknesses, just like we individuals all have our strengths and weaknesses, and God uses our individual talents for different purposes that are all, uh, when combined, working together for his good. And so it's important for us to remember uh, these things in verses 4 through 6 that he's saying because they're things that we can all hold in common and that we can all get excited about and find unity and kind of a common thread in that we have one body, which is the fellowship of believers. Uh, it's the church. We have one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and it activates this fellowship that we have. We have one hope, which is that glorious future to which we are called. One Lord, uh, which... Uh, is the Christ, Jesus Christ, to whom we belong. One faith, which is our singular commitment to Christ. 
one baptism, uh, which is the sign of our entry into the church, and one God, who is our, our Father, who is over all and in all and through all and keeps us uh, until eternity. And so these are things that we, uh, as Christians everywhere, can get excited about because we have them in common, and they're things that um, we can be unified on. So um, Paul brings up all these things, and it kind of brings us to verse 7. And in verse 7, it says, uh, but to... To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And uh, I know that this is uh, probably in your Bible the start of the next paragraph, but it's where we're going to wrap it up today. Um, because I think without uh, kind of the central truth in verse 7, uh, the, ex- the exciting and challenging things that we see in verse 1 can really never happen. And what Paul says here is he says that grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this idea that grace is given uh, is super important to us because uh, I don't want you to sit here this morning and to think that what I'm telling you to do is to live a life uh, that's super worthy so that God will call you. Because that's not the order that he lists things here, and that's not the order that the Bible tells us things happen. Uh, We can't do things enough to make God love us. Um, Instead, what Paul is calling us to here is he's saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's uh, past tense received, and it's something that's already happened in the lives of these Ephesian believers. And so we have to make sure that we're uh, recognizing this fact that grace is something that is given, that all of us um, have sinned at some time or another uh, in more ways than we want to admit and fall short of God's glory. And that our, even though our natural response is to try to do good things to make up for that, to think like, okay, well, I know that I've done these bad things, but if I just do all these good things, then God's going to love me more. But uh, the fact of the matter and the teaching of the Bible is that that's not true, that as many good things as we want to do, and if we were able to stop all the bad things right now, which would still be impossible, and keep doing good things, we would still never be able to measure up to God's standard of perfection. And so Paul isn't telling us to live this way so that God will love us anymore. Um, because he makes it really clear that we can't save ourselves. Um, Just a couple chapters earlier in Ephesians, uh, verses 2, 8, and 9, he says that we've been saved by grace through faith, and it's nothing that we can do on our own, but it's God's gift that he gives gives us, and it's not anything that we can take pride in because we didn't have anything to do with it. Um, When we... When we look and we see uh, how God looks at us now, he doesn't look at us and see our sin. He doesn't look at us and see um, the good things that we've done. He looks at us and he sees Christ's righteousness because of what he did on the cross, because Christ was buried uh, and died and, but, and then conquered the, gra- the, day, the grave. I can't say my word. I'm getting tongue-tied. Because he conquered the grave, um, we're able to have new life in him. And that is the calling. That's, the, that's really the, the central thing that I want you to see today, and all these things keep going back together, that uh, a, the, a life lived worthily is marked by unity, uh, which can only happen when we're able to show one another patience. And that patience is only able to happen if we're able to be gentle with one another, meek, because we see each other the way that we should uh, in relation to how Christ sees us. And, and we're only able to do that because... Uh, we're able to have a humble outlook on on our moral littleness before God and how we see ourselves in comparison to the Almighty God. So all of these things rolled into one come back to this calling which you have received. And 
if you never have received that calling, if you're sitting here and you hear me talk about that and you say, you know what, I've never actually responded to God's call on my life. I've, I've probably heard people talk about this before, but it's never something that I have actually responded to. I don't have this time in my life that I decided to stop living for the old things and start living this new, fulfilling, and exciting life in Christ, a life that uh, is actually satisfying. Then I would love to talk to you about that because... Um, That's the most important decision that you'll ever make. And like we talked about earlier, for those of us who are in Christ, when you make that decision, that's the most important and biggest thing that will ever happen, bigger than any other day or any other achievement that this world can give you. Uh, A life surrendered to Christ uh, is the greatest thing that can ever happen. And so I I really can't stress enough that verse 1 doesn't happen without verse 7, that God's grace is what compelled Paul to become a prisoner. It's what compels us to live lives that are worthy of his amazing and awesome calling. Lives that are marked by humility, gentleness, patience, and a love that bears with one another. Lives that are marked by unity. Lives that honor God in a response to what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the simple truth of the gospel that you have given us, that although uh, we've heard it a lot of times, Lord, that it it never uh, returns without teaching us more about how you love us and about how you relate to us and about how you want to know us more. Lord, I pray that um, if we don't have a time in our life that we have decided to follow Christ, if we don't have a time in our life that we have responded to this glorious call that we've seen in the book of Acts over the past two years, uh, that we would just think on that, and that as we feel your Holy Spirit calling us, Lord, that we would respond to that. Lord, I pray that for those of us who have uh, been changed by the truth of your word, Lord, that we would uh, live lives that really value that calling, that it truly would be the most important thing that has ever happened to us in our lives, and that we'd be able to live humbly, gently, patient, and unified with one another, uh, like the believers in Acts did, like the believers in the early church, and that we'd be able to honor you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together and